And uh, this is, like I said, going to this week and next week. Uh, I feel like I'm running out of time. But, uh, and these, uh, the subjects I wanted to deal with is, is to talk about what is the Reformed faith. Because um, there will be a difference in the language. Uh, I, I have... I, while I've preached a Calvinistic faith uh, for a long time, um, I, I have not used a lot of the theological um, verbiage, <laughs> and that was intentionally so because those things can be divisive. Um, but I think things as they are now, I need to deal with... Uh, what is the Reformed faith? So this week I want to talk about just Calvinism in and of itself. And then next week I want to talk about what are the five solas uh, of the Reformation. And that is going to kind of hopefully give an o overview of what people mean when they talk about Reformed faith. Uh, these, are the, these are the underpinnings. There are things that I hope as we go through uh, that you'll see, hey, these are, these are what we believe already. Uh, and there's going to be some things that you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, uh, that, that I, but I want us to understand, especially today, where, the, where we're coming from or where, where especially uh, other men of God are coming from. So Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. And what we need to understand is the election of grace. The election of grace. By the way, there's nobody, um, unless they're just completely apostate <laughs> and things of that nature, that does not have a doctrine of election. And the doctrine of election is just simply this. God chose. It's not just one place in the scripture, it's everywhere. And this is, a, this is one of the key passages, but uh, once you see it for what it is, um, you'll find it everywhere in the scriptures. It's not a doctrine that can be ignored. I uh, just want to read a couple places, Ephesians chapter 1, blessed be, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. That's what we were just singing about, right? Um, in heavenly places, in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him. That is, in Christ. God the Father chose us in Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we, and he chose not only us before the foundation of the world, but he chose us to an end. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having, this is a result clause, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ Jesus. So the end comes from the beginning. <laughs> Amen. Because he has chose us, he has predestinated us, therefore we will come to the very end where he will fully sanctify us, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, 
according to the good pleasure of his will. That becomes the foundation of it all. The good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glory of his grace wherein he made us accepted in the beloved. So in a nutshell, we could say that's all of the doctrine of election. And it goes on to talk about the ministry of Christ, the Son, to the praise of the glory of his grace, and then the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now turn to a couple other places. Uh, let's go to at least three other places as our foundation, and then I want to talk about what, what the five points are and try to coalesce these under this idea. Uh, generally, uh, I would say we've always... Almost everybody in the church has at least been a two or three point Calvinist and only scoffs or balks a little bit at a couple of the other points. But really the understanding of, of when we get next week to the five solas, uh, by grace alone, in, in truly does embrace all of it uh, from beginning to end as we just read. The end comes from the beginning. Our, our, our assurance of salvation comes uh, uh, comes not doesn't start with for me August 26 1999 me saying a prayer um, and seeking Christ uh, but my assurance of salvation goes back way further than that <laughs> that he actually died for me that he actually loved me uh, that he actually chose me in him before the foundation of the world all those things uh, become true Peter first Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, these are just the most obvious scriptures that we can uh, come to. But Peter says, uh, he's an apostle, verse 1, um, he's writing to the strangers scattered. And then he says, elect, those elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Those chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then everything flows from that, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Um, let's go back to Romans, Romans chapter 11. Here, Paul is going to make the connection between what he means by salvation by grace and salvation by works. Where he says in verse 5, even so at this present time, he's talking about those saved among Israel, even so at this present time also there is a remnant according to what? The election of grace, God's grace in choosing. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And one more, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And these are, I mean, you, you can literally, and, and it's not just a scripture. Uh, this, this was the doctrine that was from the apostles. Uh, if you were to read Clement, uh, if you were to read uh, some of the early church fathers, they were steeped in this language. Election of grace, election of grace. It wasn't something invented later by Augustine, although he was the champion of it. It wasn't something invented by Calvin. It, this, we're talking, uh, we, we, can, we can try to put those names out of our, our, our mind, Calvin and Augustine and all those, and say this was what was taught by the apostles. What was taught by the apostles? 
Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, here he just says, elect, 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 elect. <laughs> uh, and what, what, does he, what does he say here? He says, uh, uh, verse 23, uh, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For we see, you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has, that's that word elect, he elected. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound those which are things which are mighty. The base things he's talking about. Who did God save? Who is brought God? Who, who, who is God bringing out or bringing into to the fellowship? Are they wise? Are they noble? But what is the basis? Election. Now. This has been a journey for me because when I was first saved, I was saved and working there down there at the Roloff Ministries, um, I quickly learned that if there was a Calvinist in our midst, uh, they better keep their mouth shut. <laughs> and I'm afraid that not much has ever changed in church culture. Uh, so when I was saved, I, I, was, I, I was brought into a very fundamentalist kind of faith, um, and there wasn't a lot of room for a discussion of predestination of election or things of that matter. Uh, I, I would say I, I still remember uh, my Uncle Don. I was at his house. He took me down to his, uh, his library, and he said secret to me, I got something to give you. <laughs> and he gave me uh, John Gill's body of divinity. And he said, almost in a whisper, don't let your grandpa know <laughs> because he'll get mad. <laughs> and... Why was that? Because Grandpa uh, and, and Don and Dad and Phyllis and almost all my family, they were brought out of that very fundamental, brought, saved. And I, I was saved out of that very fundamentalist background, very anti-Calvinist. And I know uh, in, in the years that I've been saved, especially the years as I studied and tried to get more into the Word of God, and wanted to take the word of God seriously for what it says, not what I wanted to say, but for what it says, God has slowly moved me towards what would be called the Reformed faith. And, uh, and I, I know he was also moving on my dad and everything in the very, in, in, in the last decade or so where it was becoming more and more salvation is of the Lord. And if you want to understand what the election of grace is all about, it is about that. When I talk to people about why I am saved or how I am saved, I cannot say I am saved because I dot, dot, dot. Some things I might be able to put behind those dots are true. Whosoever will may come and drink of the water. I came to Christ. I repented of my sins. I believed upon him. All those things that, 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 that uh, are very true scripturally. But when I talk about why I am saved and how I am saved, I have to start with I am saved because he saved me. 
the tension is this. When we talk about the five points of Calvinism, you all know what they are? <laughs> all right, so you all know the acronym at least. Who knows the acronym? All right, but, but the acronym, the, the T, you got the T right. T-U-L-I-P, it spells tulip, and you'll get people get mad about this, all right? Oh, oh I see tulips spring, uh, prop, uh, uh, springing up everywhere. We got to do something about it. We got to chop those down. But tulip, T-U-L-I-P, all right? So this is what's understood as Calvinism. I'm going to give you the words to describe them here in a second. Now, Calvin never specifically taught any of these things. What we have with Calvin is Calvin was a second-generation reformer. You have Luther and, uh, and Zwingli and people like that that protested against the uh, Catholic Church and, and ultimately were, were, were brought out of it. Um, and, uh, but but uh, after that, the, the emphasis would become on those five solas in the 1500s. Uh, there was a revival of, uh, of those five solas that we're going to talk about next week. Uh, by uh, sola scriptura, by scripture alone, uh, by Christ alone, uh, through faith alone, by grace alone, for God's glory alone. Uh, uh, and the emphasis was on scripture. Calvin rose up as someone who so fully embraced it that he began to produce so of such a voluminous amount of writings that were exegetical in nature. And I know uh, Ken has been talking about exegesis, drawing from the scriptures what the scriptures actually say. And Calvin was so much enmeshed in that and so uh, put out his writings that, 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 that it affected the generations that follow. It was actually probably, uh, and I don't have it in front of me, dates, but it was probably about 50 years after his death that followers of Calvin, in answer to Joseph Arminius and his followers. Joseph Arminius, what we get the word Arminianism, produced tracts about the five points of Arminianism. And the followers, a couple generations afterwards of Calvin, the people that were reading his writings and studying the scriptures in the same way, began to coalesce an answer to those five points. And that become, no one talks about the five points of Arminianism anymore. It became what we know as the five points of Calvinism. Uh, and it was an answer to some really bad doctrine. Uh, that Arminianism is simply this. Man is completely in charge of everything. Man has this libertarian free will, which doesn't exist, by the way. Uh, you have a will, but your will is always influenced by stuff. <laughs> All right, so you can never say, I, I'm making this free, uncaused decision. There's always causes for your decisions. Uh, and Luther himself wrote about the bondage of the will, um, one of the great works that came, one of, and he said to, uh, and he said to uh, Erasmus, um, you alone, in answering this, pro this if trying to answer this problem of the will, has pinpointed the underpinning of the entire Reformation. All right, which we're going to get into. Uh, so. 
some of these points you're just going to readily say, hey, yeah, that's right. Uh, some of them we cringe about because we hear and we're like, oh, I don't know about that. But at least want to let you know where people are coming from when we're putting these together. This is set, Basically, these points are summed up. I'm saved by grace. Grace alone, sola uh, gratia, uh, grace alone. All right, so what does the T stand for? Total depravity. Total depravity. Now, um, we, we got 20 minutes to get through these. Uh, total depravity. What does total depravity mean? We're sinners. We're naturally opposed to God because we're sinners. We naturally reject God. Now, some people will hear the term total depravity and they'll say, well, man is as bad as they can be. It doesn't mean that. And in fact, some people would say what would probably be a better way to say, say this is total inability. I cannot save myself. I cannot contribute anything to my salvation in any way, shape, or form. Now, this wasn't something, again, that was invented by Calvinists. Um, er, there was an early heresy that, uh, that came up in the uh, first couple hundred years after Christ called Pelagianism. Anybody know what Pelagianism is? Pelagianism was this early heresy in the church that says mankind is, you know, he's not fallen. Adam fell, but we're not held, we're, we're, we're not born in sin. We're, we're not born unable uh, to get to God. Everybody can keep the commandments and everybody could, could, in theory, be perfect and worthy of salvation. You see a problem with you, you hopefully you all see a problem with that idea of Pelagianism. Uh, and then you have your semi-Pelagians. They're the people that say, okay, we are fallen and we have inherited a sin nature, but you know, our minds are not fallen, and we can we 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 can we can reason and we can will and we can get to God if with, with the help of God we can get to God, but we contribute in some way, shape, or form. Now I'm not going to belabor the point of total depravity, but total depravity is just that. No man can come to him, to the Father. John 6, No one. No one has the ability in and of themselves to make it to God. We are totally sinful. Romans 1, 2, and 3, the very first three chapters, teach fully the doctrine of total depravity. How lost was I before I was saved? Totally. How much ability did I have to get to God? Zero. Or as uh, uh, we get into Paul quoting the Old Testament, he says, there is none good. No, not one. There's none that does righteousness. Not only are we just lacking a whole lot, but we're positively evil. Uh, no one had to teach you how to lie or how to curse or how to do anything like that. It all just came naturally. Um, uh, and 
we contributed nothing to our salvation. Paul would later say in Romans, he says, for when we were without strength, in due time Christ came and died for the ungodly. Uh, without strength means we were totally enabled. So you could say total inability, total depravity, uh, whatever way you want to look at it, but um, that is just the belief that we're totally sinful. Most of us will not have a problem yet with bipolars. What's the second? Anybody know? And I'm running through this at a lightning pace. Unconditional election. So unconditional. Like I said, everybody believes in election. You have to. If you take the New Testament serious, you have to believe in an unconditional election. No, I mean you have to believe in election. Now, what the first word is what it's all about. Unconditional. What that means is, what did we just read in Romans? We read that God has a remnant according to the election of grace, that it might be by grace, their salvation might be by grace and not of works. This gets into this idea of this is the scary words, this is where scary words come into play. Predestination. And foreknowledge. All right, so that's what they're, the, the, this is related to that predestination and the foreknowledge. I'll just put that right there in in in, uh, in an acronym. God chose. When did He choose? Ephesians one. He chose before the foundation of the world. He just did not choose Christ. He chose us who were saved in Christ before the foundation of the world, and chose our end. And it was all by grace. What does grace mean? We would use the word unmerited. That's really what unconditional is saying. It's saying it's not based on our merit or anything that we did. Um, uh, so God looks down the corridors of time before he even creates the world. And he chooses to save. Is there a basis for his choosing? Well, Ephesians says it's according to the pleasure of his own will. I don't. If he has a basis, that's the only basis he gave. It pleased him to save some, to save those that are saved. Now, the where the way people begin to scoff at this, they say, "Okay, total depravity," and I can agree with election. But I believe the election is on conditions. It's on the condition of me saying the sinner's prayer and enduring to the end and all those things. And that's where Arminian doctrine really lies. Why does, why does the church of God, down any one of them, believe we can lose our salvation? Because they believe at some point it's conditioned, the entire scheme of election was conditioned somehow on them and on things that they do, on some kind of merit that they earn. They repented. They forgave all their enemies. They, you know, did all those things. And does the Bible ever talk about conditions? Of course it does. Uh, no one saved without faith. And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, 
uh, without repentance and all those. So those, those. We could talk about those conditions, but those are conditions that are brought about and given to us by God. He granted repentance to the Gentiles. You hear, you hear the, elect, the, the unmerited language. Well, I'm so wise. I, I am saved because I got it figured out, and I figured, you know, I, I, I reasoned everything out, and I was smart enough to see that Jesus really was Lord, and then I came to him, and because of that, he saved me. Yes. Well, you have to look at it like this. What does Ephesians 1 say? He says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So we know that's true, right? You got that part. So all of humanity is lost. It's not an unjust thing for God to, for God not to save, if you would. But he in his grace chose to reach down and take saved some. We know, we know not all are saved, right? And therefore, and therefore, we can't hold to some kind of universalism. God could have chose to save everybody, but he chose to save some. Um, so, yes, that's a, in a sense, that it doesn't mean that by his act of choosing, he damned everyone else. We were damned. We were once without Christ, and he saved us. But the point is, right now, is his, his choice to save was without condition, without our merit, without us doing. Some people will have an idea of foreknowledge that says, well, he looked back and he saw that I was going to be really good. <laughs> well, God is free. God's the only one that's free. <laughs> And, and that's all, that you, you, have to, you have to realize, and someone once said this to me, understanding election is us trying to understand the infinite, the infinite mind of God. Well, the, the way we answer it is to say, what does Ephesians 1 say? He did it for the pleasure of his own will. His own, his own pleasure, he, decide, he chose to save some. Now, I, I, know, I know that's, that's not a satisfactory, some people some people will say, well, there's never going to be a satisfactory answer to the lost mind. Well, he should have saved everybody. Well, he's under, uh, under no obligation to save anybody. It's by grace that he chose to save it all, those that are saved. Uh, and he chose to do it without conditions. Well, when you think of it, there is, what, did God have a reason to save me? that Jason Tackett was going to be such a great guy that he was going to be worthy of salvation or that he was going to jump through all the right hoops and because he was smart enough to figure it out or wise enough or, or strong enough to figure it out. And then, well, what, you, what, what we need to understand about election, and you're not going to understand it because you're talking about why did God choose I can't even figure out why you choose certain things or why I choose certain things. I can't even figure out why I did this or why I did that. And we're trying to get into the mind, well, well God, why did you choose to save me? I'm just grateful he saved me. And I'm grateful he saved me without any condition on my part because I would have failed every condition. And so would you and so would have everybody sitting here. 
If I had to be smart enough to get saved, I would have failed. If I would have had to been good enough to be saved, I would have failed. Yeah. So it's by grace. This is sim- unconditional election is just simply that. He chose to say, why am I saved? I don't know why. I can't tell you why. I'm not God. But I know he says he, ha- he chose to save some. And praise God, I'm among them. Yes. All right. I know this, this is where it starts getting murky, right? Well, the gospel's gone out through all the world. Well, does God save against? Does God save us against our will? No. And has the gospel gone out into all the world? Yes. Is the imperative to believe there? Do we have gospel imperatives? There's a reason why we preach the gospel, because that's the means by which you save if that makes make sense. So he, we go out and we preach repentance. We go out and repentance. We're not going around or going out and just saying we're not we're not uh we're not uh old regular Baptists, <laughs> primitive Baptists and we're saying uh no one needs to hear the gospel and no one needs to respond. Um God has given light to all men. He lightens every man that comes into the world and every man is without excuse because they have been given light by God. They know the imperatives. Yes. Well, they have whatever light God gave them. I mean, and and we trust that God in his grace responds responds to men. Yes. No. He gave us a will, yeah. they were without excuse. But let's but let's Yeah. And let but, but let's let's consider this. Thank you. Amen. By nature and choice. Yeah, and think of it this way. Think of it this way. If I'm saved, I'm saved only by grace. I I can say that Christ is completely, God is completely responsible for my salvation. But if I'm lost, and if I find myself lost in the end, who is to blame? Me. There was light given. Light has gone over. Everyone is without, everybody should have sought God. And the sad part is, is none seek him. Uh, yeah, okay. So, no, no, This it's important to realize 
unconditional election doesn't mean, well, God's going to save everybody, so let's sit on our hands and not give to missions. No point in it. I mean, if he wants them saved, he ordained the means, and he ordained the, the means by which people are saved. People are saved by faith, by repentance. By the way, he gives people faith, and he gives people repentance. Uh, he gave every, to every man a measure of faith, Romans 12. He granted repentance, uh, the book of Acts. Uh, so even when we're talking, so when I say I believe, that those, that doesn't become something I'm conditioning in myself, meriting in myself. God saved me because he chose to save. He's responsible for 100% of my salvation. I'm responsible for 100% of my lost condition. That and my daddy, Adam. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was, I was born into sin, and I went ahead and chose sin. And, and, uh, have, and uh, does that answer everybody's question? I know this part is hard. <laughs> it's going to get harder. It's going to get bumpy. And we got 14 minutes, really, to deal with these. All right, so we understand total depravity. If my point, uh, what I want to get here, as we're going into unconditional election, if you believe in total depravity, you have to believe in this. I know we struggle in a way to talk about it because, again, we're trying to figure out the infinite mind of God. But we have to, if we believe we're totally depraved or totally enabled, we have to believe that he did it all. Right? All right, so this is where I, if you get anything out of today, I hope you get why we believe in grace or why at least people who say I, I believe in all five points why they do now here is going in most people well there's a lot of people you run into and say well I'm a four-point Calvinist and if they say they're a four-point Calvinist or even a three-point Calvinist usually they're gonna drop the L and the I <laughs> or one or the other and if they're only gonna drop one they're gonna drop the L I had a hard time coming around to this one myself. What's the L? Limited atonement. Uh, limited. And this is hard. Because who did Christ die for? Huh? Okay, well, we have verses out there that say he died for all, right? But then we have other verses that say Christ loved his church and gave himself for it particularly. Now, what you want to understand about the doctrine of atonement is this. First of all, we believe in Penal substitutionary atonement. I hope everybody in here believes in penal substitutionary atonement. There's other aspects of atonement that people want to highlight. You know, he was victorious on the cross. Uh, he, was, he was a great example, a sacrificial example, all this. But Christ literally died on behalf of those that are saved. Okay? Now... I think where we get lost here is we want to focus, a lot of people want to focus, and they don't want to leave anybody out of this. And I, 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 I think they have scriptural ground for doing it. Christ died for all, so that all were dead. 
Now, getting it, parsing out and what we can't do in the next seven minutes <laughs> is parse all this out. But what, we, what I want you to understand is that this focuses on the particular effect. Some people will say, we'll use the word instead of limited because should we, should we limit the power of Christ's shed blood to save sinners in any way? No. So limited is actually kind of, and, and I, I was listening to R.C. Sproul once, and he says, well, I don't, I don't like the word total. We'll change it to a different word or unconditional. Uh, we'll use a different, and, and it stops being tulip. We're just, we, we use the language of tulip because it makes a nice little acronym that we can remember. But the word particular is probably a much better word. And why is this? We've seen Galatians 2.20. He loved me and gave himself for me. And what limited atonement focuses on is the death of Christ upon the cross did not just make it possible for people to be saved. It actually saved me. Does that make sense? He actually did die on my behalf. He actually did affect my salvation. Some people will say, well, well, they'll take verses out of context, like John 12. If Christ be lifted up, he'll draw all men to him, which is getting into the I part. But, um, but uh, the point is, is we have to come back and say that Christ when we look at the cross, we're not just looking at the possibility of salvation. I'm looking at my actual salvation. What actually paid my debt. Does that make sense? Christ actually did save me when he died on the cross. Now when you, when you talk about what he particularly did accomplish, not the possibility of what could have been accomplished by it. We don't uh, and that's what that's the that's the bad part about the language limited. We hear limited, and we say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, there's no limit. He, it's sufficient for all that come to Him." And that's true. But when we talk about what it particularly did, He purchased His church on the cross. He purchased my salvation on the cross. It actually happened, and not just made it possible, but actually accomplished it. Now, that's me giving a really quick three-minute defense of limited atonement and why I believe in it, but that really is it. Uh, and why, why, even though I kicked and screamed and didn't like the language and blah, 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 and I think the word limited is very unfortunate. But it would be too pip instead of too lip, and, you know, too pip. <laughs> sounds a lot different and uh, so and yeah then if you start meddling around with language you no longer have a nice little neat acronym no we don't believe God's the power of Christ's atonement is limited in its power but we do believe it's particular in its effect it really did accomplish the salvation of all who are saved. And if we think of it like that, I think uh, 
I think we can, for me, I, I stopped, to be honest with you, I really never even called myself a Calvinist probably until the last month or so. And I finally said, you know, that that's exactly what I am. Because I'm starting to think, hey, I'm going to go into the church and I need to be able to tell people what I believe before they kick me out. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's in a nutshell is why. He really saved me on the cross. Didn't just make it possible for me to be a good person and, you know, figure it all out on my own. But he really did save me. Now, what's the I stand for? Irresistible. Now, for those that would say, well, I believe in three of the five points, would also probably drop this one. Irresistible grace. But again, I hope you're seeing that they're all flowing together. If we are totally depraved or totally unable, uh, God saved us by his grace alone. He actually accomplished our salvation on Calvary, and the Spirit actually drew me to salvation. That's really what we're talking about. Uh, irresistible grace means is simply this. God not only elected me, Christ not only died, but the Spirit actually came and convicted my heart, regenerated me, and caused me to be born again. Does that make sense? Um, the, what, what people kick at is the irresistible part. And admittedly, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, right? Do people resist the Holy Ghost? Yeah. They blaspheme the Holy Ghost. They, they, they uh, whoa, and I'm running out of time. They blaspheme the Holy Ghost. They reject the Holy Ghost. They reject the witnesses of the scriptures. Our people are resisting the Holy Ghost right now. That's language of scripture. So therefore, should we scratch this? No. Why do we people believe it? Because I am saved because Christ opened my heart. I am saved because he opened my mind. I am saved because the Spirit came and didn't have to, by the way, multiple times, and actually pricked me and pricked my conscience. And made it for made me able to respond to those imperatives. Repent, believe. And if the Holy Spirit would not have done that, I would be lost. Does that make sense? That's what people mean by irresistible grace. Yes. No. <laughs> well, what it goes back to is has God given sufficient light to everyone? Is anybody without excuse? Everybody is. Everybody Everybody has no excuse for not seeking God. They don't because they love their sin, but they don't. Uh, um, that gets into, do people resist God? Yeah, the entire human history is filled with people resisting God. But we're focusing in on why am I saved? I'm not saved because I woke up one morning without any cause and said, you know what? I'm going to go get saved today. That didn't happen. He found me. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
and he says, my sheep hear me, and they know my voice. That gets into this whole election language. He has a sheep that he, that he saved. Uh, he has a flock. But it doesn't mean that they were never convicted. And yes, they did love sin because that's why they resisted. <laughs> uh, the, you know, they would rather have their drugs, their alcohol, their uh, uh, whatever sinful act that they do. They don't want God, uh, and therefore no one seeks God. But the point is, is he sought me. That's what happened to me August 26, 19. That's what happened to me. I was just telling someone the story. I said uh, about all the things that God started to use to bring me to him. And the little and God used a dispensational trucker at 3 a.m. at Smoky Valley Truck Stop to hand me and a friend a track. <laughs> uh, I don't agree with anything that was in the track. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit began to use the scripture that was there to say, hey, what if I'm lost? I'm headed to judgment. <laughs> uh, he's really going to judge me. And the Holy Spirit did that. And he did things like, uh, like to send people my way, to ask me questions, to do those things. And the Holy Spirit began to, right there. No man can come to him unless the Father first draw him. There's a complete inability on our part. And therefore, grace sought us. And that was the means by which he saved us. Does that answer your question? Partially. I, I'm not saying everybody's going to rapture my, hey, hey, I'm a five-point Calvinist today. I'm just saying that's why they believe it. And that's why it's out there. All right. Well, hopefully this is helping because it's, it's going to take some exposure. It's going to take some exposure, and probably I should have started using the vernacular a long time ago. But... So far, I hope you see one thing. Why do people hold this? Because if people start stepping away from these points, they at some point are putting some kind of conditions. I am saved because I dot, dot, dot. And when, you're hold, when people are holding to this or saying, I am saved because God dot, dot, dot. That's the whole difference. This is grace. This is what people mean when they talk about the doctrines of grace. What's the last one? Perseverance of the saints. Oh my goodness, we're late. Perseverance of the saints. Now that means some people would prefer saying preservation. God preserves those that are saved unto the end. We read there in Ephesians that He has an end that we would be that we would, we would be holy and without blame before Him. The best way, and we're already at time to quit. The best way to look at this is this. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. He that began a good work in us shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he started the work. He continues the work. He will finish the work. All of my salvation is dependent upon him. So when I read things like he that endures to the end, shall, the same shall be saved. When I read things to, uh, to that effect, um, I am reading the description of the saved. The, 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 the people that are saved do persevere. The people that are saved are brought to the end. It's not a prescription. You better hold out or you're lost. 
uh, because you don't have the ability. If my salvation depended upon me keeping my salvation, I would lose it. I would have lost it a few seconds after I gained it, <laughs> right? Uh, if you could lose your salvation, you would, right? That's how John MacArthur put it, and I, I think it was a great way to, to uh, say that. But if you could lose your salvation, you definitely would. Uh, we, we have for a long time have held, and, and I, most people would say, okay, I can under, I'm a two-point or I'm a three-point, uh, and just because of the misunderstanding of what people are trying to say with uh, limited atonement, irresistible grace, uh, they'll say, well, I don't like those. But this is eternal security right here. Yes. Well, what, what say, put, put the question together one more time. How do I... All right, I could talk to you as a pastor, <laughs> all right, but, but first let's, do, let's handle it doctrinally. Uh, do people apostatize? Even in the scripture, do, did, was Judas apostatized, right? He was one of the 12. Uh, what did Jesus say for, about him in the beginning? He says I, in John 6, long before he betrayed Christ, he says, Have not I chosen you 12 and one of you is currently? <laughs> Uh, and that was early in Jesus Christ's ministry, is a devil. John would later say, they went out from us because they were not of us. Um, do people apostatize? Yes, they do. We have an entire movement right now of people uh, deconstructing their faith. And there we have the deconstruction movement, the deconversion movement. I was a Christian, but now I'm not. <laughs> um, and that and that's a lot of it because it because it reject they've already rejected all this and I'm way over time and I'm sorry but if you believe I am saved because I repeated a prayer I am saved because I dot 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 then you you of course you reject the rest of this of course you reject it the perseverance of the saints because you didn't persevere because you believed it was all on you anyway. So I'm saved because I said because I I repeated a prayer. I'm saved because I walked the aisle one day and I raised my hand, or when the preacher says raise your hand, or as it was in one church, I'm saved because when the preacher says one two three stand up, I stood up, <laughs> or something to that effect. That that is my salvation. I'm saved because I filled out a card. I'm saved because I got in the baptismal waters. I'm saved because I did A B and C and D. When when that salvation is all on I I dot dot dot. You're going to have people come in, told that they're a Christian, patted on the back, and when the first opportunity comes, there they go. And then we start saying, well, the, see, there's proof. People can lose their salvation. No, people, uh, the elect, the elect will always be saved. He will bring them through. Christ, who began a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And it'll be evidenced by your continuing. Now, do Christians sin? And I'm going a couple extra minutes, and I'm sorry. But do Christians sin? Yeah, I sin. Now, the question is, is, does God deal with us differently? 
My dad used to preach a sermon. He speaks, he spanks, and he calls home. <laughs> How does God deal with a sin in a Christian life? But the point is, is God does deal with them. He deals with them as children. He corrects his children. If you can sin, and how do you tell the difference between an apostate and someone who is simply backsliding? Uh, if you can sin without conviction, without correction, you're, you're lost. God's not dealing with you as he deals with his children. But the point about the perseverance of the saints is that he does deal with his children. And he does bring them through to the end. We've called that eternal security. But really, it's the last point in a total ideology that says salvation is of the Lord alone. He chose, he sanctified, and he'll glorify it. Or as it says in Romans, I, pr I promise I'm going to stop. <laughs> All things work. Oh, you're fine. I, I hope this is being clear because, because uh, I hope as, as we move forward uh, and as, as uh, Steve comes and he starts uh, pastoring and, and uh, uh, he's going to be much stronger on this vernacular. And I probably should have been stronger on the vernacular for a very long time. Uh, and as the folks from Redeeming Grace are here, they're going to start talking about reformed faith. What is reformed faith? And they're going to use this vernacular. And I don't want you to say, oh, I, I don't know. But they are coming from a place that says grace, 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 grace. That's what it is. Sola gratia. Grace alone saved us. Not because I'm good. Not because I'm handsome. Not because I got a lot of money. He chose the weak things. He chose the despised things. He chose the, the foolish things. That's me. That's you. He saved us for his pleasure. The pleasure of his own will. Not because I was so good. Not because I was so handsome but because he is the author of my salvation. He's, Hebrew says, Christ is the author and finisher of my faith. He authored it. He finishes it. And from beginning to end, that's what the election of grace is all about. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to walk out of here and figure it out. Oh, yeah, I know it all. About. <laughs> but I'm saying, if this is the, and again, I'm sorry, this has been the longest Sunday school lesson ever. But in the end, if you put this on and said this is indeed the paradigm, which is, you're going to see this everywhere. You're literally going to see this everywhere without fail. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? <laughs> he was, tulips were sprouting at Bible Baptist. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean, uh, anyway, we'll quit. All right, so we got two minutes before the next hour.